Good evening, brothers and sisters. Let's turn our attention to the Word of God. Genesis chapter 49, verses 29 through chapter 50, 26. Come to the last section here of the book of Genesis. give our full attention to God's holy word. Then he charged them and said to them, I am to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field of Machpelah, which is before Mamre in the, in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought with the, the field of Ephron the Hittite as a possession for a burial place. There they buried Abraham and Sarah, his wife. There they buried Isaac and Rebekah, his wife. And there I buried Leah. The field and the cave that is there were purchased from the sons of Heth. And when Jacob had finished commanding his sons, he drew his feet up into the bed and breathed his last and was gathered to his people. Then Joseph fell on his father's face and wept over him and kissed him. And Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father. So the physicians embalmed Israel. Forty days were required for him, for such are the days required for those who are embalmed. And the Egyptians mourned for him seventy days. Now when the days of his mourning were past, Joseph spoke to the household of Pharaoh, saying, If now I have found favor in your eyes, Please speak in the hearing of Pharaoh, saying, My father made me swear, saying, Behold, I am dying. In my grave which I dug for myself, in the land of Canaan, there you shall bury me. Now therefore, please let me go up and bury my father, and I will come back. And Pharaoh said, Go up and bury your father, as he made you swear. So Joseph went up to bury his father, and with him went up all the servants of Pharaoh, the elder of his, elders of his house, and all the elders of the land of Egypt, as well as all the house of Joseph, his brothers, and his father's house, only their little ones, their flocks, and their herds, they left in the land of Goshen. And there went up with him both chariots and horsemen. And it was a very great gathering. And they came to the threshing floor of Atad, which is beyond the Jordan. And they mourned there with a great and very solemn lamentation. He observed seven days of mourning for his father. And when the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, saw the mourning at the threshing floor of Atad, they said, This is a deep mourning of the Egyptians. Therefore, its name was called Abel Mitzrayim, which is beyond the Jordan. For his sons did for him just as he had commanded them. For his sons carried him to the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave of the field of Machpelah before Mamre, which Abraham bought with the field from Ephron the Hittite as property for a burial place. And after he had buried his father, Joseph returned to Egypt, he and his brothers, and all who went up with him to bury his father. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, perhaps Joseph will hate us and may actually repay us for all the evil which we did to him. So they sent messengers to Joseph, saying, Before your father died, he commanded, saying, 
Thus you shall say to Joseph, I beg you, please forgive the trespass of your brothers and their sin, for they did evil to you. Now please forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Then his brothers also went and fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we are your servants. Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. Now, therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. So Joseph dwelt in Egypt, he and his father's household. And Joseph lived 110 years. Joseph saw Ephraim's children to the third generation. The children of Machir, the son of Manasseh, were also brought up on Joseph's knees. And Joseph said to his brethren, I am dying, but God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land to the land of which he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph took an oath from the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died being 110 years old. And they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Now a few verses from Romans chapter 8. Romans 8, 26 through 30. Likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose for whom he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom He predestined, these He also called. Whom He called, these He also justified. And whom He justified, these He also glorified. Amen. Thanks be to God for His Word. Let's pray and ask Him to bless it to our hearts. Lord, you say in your word that blessed are those who hear the word and do it. We pray that you would give us hearts to hear and to obey. We pray that we would read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest your holy word. That it would get down into our hearts, take deep root, and bear much fruit to your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Does your, does your sin thwart God's purposes for you? Do your failures thwart God's plan for you? What about the, the sins of others? The sins of others against you? Or going through some, some hard 
suffering, going through something evil and hard, does it, does it get in the way of God's purpose for you? Does it derail His plan for you? You know the answer. It's an emphatic no, isn't it? Um, no, God is sovereign. He's sovereign over, over all things. He's, he's good, He's wise, He's just, He's holy. He knows the beginning from the end, and He has decreed it all, and we can rest in the wonderful wonderful sovereignty of God. We love this doctrine, don't we? Um, our catechism puts it well when it tells us that the decrees of God are His eternal purpose, according to the counsel of His own will, whereby for His own glory He has foreordained whatsoever comes to pass. It's a wonderful comfort, isn't it, to know that, that our entire life, every last detail of our lives, is encompassed by the sovereignty of God, and that your sin can't thwart it, and someone else's sin against you can't, can't, can't derail it, and no suffering or evil can throw it off course. Even your death is wrapped up in the good purpose of God for you. This is what we believe. This is the truth that we confess. It's what our catechism tells us, and more importantly, it's what the Word of God tells us. And yet, isn't it true, brothers and sisters, as much as we know that doctrine and love that doctrine, that it's still hard at times to believe that doctrine? That when you, that when you get down in the trenches of the day-to-day -day struggle with, with the hardships of life, your own sin, sins of others against you, evil in the world, that it's hard to trust God's Word at those times. As you endure suffering, um, you, it, it's, it, it's easy to say, there's no way that God can work this for good. There's no way that he could make this be, be, be part of his plan. This is, this is just such a messed up situation. How, how could this work out for his glory and, and, and my good and the good of his people? And so, loved ones, we, we, we've, we've got what the Bible teaches and what we profess to believe, but we've also got right, the, the, the fight of the faith that we struggle with day by day. We need to learn more and more to, to, to trust deep down in our hearts, in our bones, in our guts, that yes, God is sovereign over all things, and yes, He is good in all things, and He is working His purpose out, and He is, he is shepherding us along by His sovereign grace according to His purpose. That is, the, that is the lesson of this last section of the book of Genesis, that, that, that God Will, will shepherd us by His sovereign grace through every hardship and evil, and even death itself, until He's brought us into, into our inheritance. There are two, two points that we'll unpack this under tonight. The first one is buried in faith. Buried in faith. Um, we get two deaths here. Two deaths of two great saints. Jacob's death, and then at the end of chapter 50, Joseph's death. Uh, we begin with, with Jacob's. Uh, Jacob, we saw this last week, he blesses his sons, and then he turns and he gives instructions for his burial in verses 29 and 30, uh, through, through 32. Um, he, he's old. He knows he's on his deathbed. He's, he's taking his last breaths. And what does he do? He says, I'm, I'm going to give you these instructions for how I'm to be buried. Listen, listen to his words. He says, I am to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers. 
in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field of Machpelah, which is before Mamre in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought with the field of Ephron the Hittite as a possession for a burial place. There they buried Abraham and Sarah his wife. There they buried Isaac and Rebekah his wife. And there I buried Leah, the field and the cave that is there, were purchased from the sons of Heth. What a lot of detail he gives. Surely he could have just said, bury me in that cave, but you know. But surely they know where their mother's buried, uh, where, 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 where their grandfather is buried. Uh, sure, surely they know uh, where this, this place is, but, but Jacob just keeps piling on the details. He's emphatic about this. He wants them to, 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 to realize this is not just an administrative detail he's trying to take care of before he goes away, before he passes away, but he wants them to see this is, this is vitally important, that they bury him there with his fathers in the Promised Land. At the end of chapter 50, when it comes to be Joseph's turn to pass away, he doesn't give all the same details that Jacob does, but he puts the same emphasis on it. He's, he says, he makes them swear an oath that they'll carry his body back to the promised land, back to Canaan, and bury him there. Not, not in Egypt, but in, but in Canaan. The question, then, that this raises, I think, is why all the emphasis on where they get buried? And what, what, what's the big deal? Their bodies die? What does it matter? What happens to their bodies after they die? Well, what, does it, what does it matter? Uh, in, our, in our culture, we often view bodies as, as an empty shell. Once a person dies, uh, the body doesn't matter so much. It's just, uh, it's just the, the person's not there anymore. Um, and we might point out that where, where, wherever Jacob's and Joseph's bodies were buried, surely they're lost to the ages now, all these years later. For all intents and purposes, they're, they're, they're lost, they're gone, their bodies. So why did it matter so much that they went to all this trouble to say, bury me there, uh, make, sure, make sure I get back to the promised land? It's important. It's important because they wanted to be buried in faith in God's promises. They, they, they wanted to be buried in the promised land to show that their faith was in the promises of God and the blessing of God and the inheritance of God, that something, uh, that, that God's covenant was longer lasting than death and stronger than death. So that, that by, by saying, bury me in the promised land, they're saying, my hope and my confidence is bigger than death and longer than death. And I know that God will raise me up, that, that, that I've been brought to, to Him in the covenant of grace. We see this wonderful, wonderful confidence they have that the covenant of grace is a death-defeating covenant, uh, that, that it transforms this, this thing that should be a curse into a blessing. Um, the words at the end of chapter 49, Jacob's death, I find them very moving. And when Jacob had finished commanding his sons, he drew his feet up into the bed and breathed his last and was gathered to his people. Think of the big picture of Genesis with me as you hear those words. Think, think of the way Genesis begins and the first time we read about a death in Genesis. Think about, think about how death comes onto the scene, what it is in the book of Genesis at the beginning of the story. Right? Death is the curse of God. Death is a horrible invader that comes and brings separation from God. 
God says to Adam and Eve, you eat of the tree, in the day you eat it, you'll surely die. You'll be separated from me. Uh, And then we see the death that mars the first family. Cain murders his brother Abel. And then, and then we get to Genesis chapter 5, and it's this, it's this, it's this list of, of death uh, uh, over and over and over. It's like a series of death announcements. And it lists a descendant of Adam, and it says, and he died. And it lists the next one, and it says, and he died. And he died. And it goes on and on, just hammering the point home. Death has come. The curse has come. We're separated from the life-giving blessing of God. Then you fast forward to the end of the book. What has the covenant of grace done? Well, it's, 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 it means that death doesn't separate you from God anymore. Jacob says that he's going to be buried in the promised land in confidence of this fact. And then we're told that his soul goes to his fathers. His soul goes to be with Abraham and Isaac and Sarah, and Rebecca, and Rachel, and Leah's soul is brought into their presence, into the presence of God. As they wait, as they wait for their bodies to be raised up and to inherit the new heavens and new earth. So there's this wonderful hope, the transformation that the covenant of grace makes uh, uh, to, 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 to death. that turns it from a curse into something that is used for, for good, um, brought into the presence of God. Um, this doesn't mean there's no grief, though, as we read of these deaths here. There's a tremendous outpouring of grief. Seventy days of mourning. That's a long time to mourn. Uh, that's the amount of time that, um, that you would mourn for a pharaoh. This is the royal treatment that Jacob gets. We see, we see Joseph's very personal grief. His father dies. We're told he weeps. He kisses his, his face. Uh, but, he, but even in these things, there, there, there's hope in the midst of the grief. Jacob is honored as a king. He gets the same level of honor that would be typically reserved for, for a pharaoh. Uh, he gets this grand funeral procession. They, they, they get all the elders of Egypt and all the people of Israel, and they go back up to the promised land to bury him. Um, I remember as a kid watching uh, President Reagan's funeral procession, bits of it on, on, on the television. And just as, I just remember snippets of it still from, from when I saw it as a child. Uh, the, the motorcades and the, the, the jets flying over, the, 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 gun, the 21 gun salutes, the, the bagpipes, the, the bugler playing taps. That, that's, that's the kind of thing that's being envisioned for us here as they make this great pilgrimage back up to the promised land to bury Jacob. And it's all the reminder that, that God is fulfilling his promises to him even in death. He's blessing him. He's making his name great. He's, he's still with him, even in, even in death. And then at the end of chapter 50, as we see Joseph's death, the same hope-filled note is, is still there. Jo- J- Joseph gets to see his children to the third generation. He sees God growing the nation, making them fruitful, God's promises coming true. And, and then, as Joseph says goodbye, verse 24, it's wonderful. Listen to his words. He says, I am dying, but God will surely visit you to bring you out of this land. And then he says it again in the next verse. God will surely visit you. The patriarchs are leaving. 
Their, their day is over. Joseph's leaving. Now the people of Israel are going to be in the promise, uh, excuse me, in Egypt for, for, for many years, waiting for the promised land. But don't worry, because even as Joseph dies, he says, God is coming. God will come and visit you. And God will save you. No matter the obstacle, God will shepherd his people all the way to their reward. Now, loved ones, if all this was true for Jacob and Joseph and the Israelites in Egypt, it is no less true for us. God will shepherd us all the way to our reward, and there is no obstacle that can thwart his purpose, including death. Death cannot thwart the purposes of God and the faithfulness of God. We, we naturally fear death. It presents such an unknown, and it, 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 it brings such separation, and it's so, so permanent, and it separates us from all those whom we, whom we love. But there's no reason for us to despair in the face of death. We have such hope. Jesus tells us, Matthew twenty-two thirty-two, that God is the God of the living not the dead. He says he is the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Not the God of the dead, but of the living. God's covenant of grace makes all the difference. In the covenant of grace, by Christ, we have the wonderful hope of resurrection. Shorter Catechism uh, speaks so well to this question on what benefits we receive in death from Christ. And it says this, the souls of believers are at their death made perfect in holiness and do immediately pass into glory. And their bodies being still united to Christ do rest in their graves until the resurrection. That, that, that is our hope. It, it's the same hope that Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph had. And yet it's so much clearer now because we've seen the Lord Jesus Christ the risen Christ for our sakes. So there's this wonderful comfort for us that, that even in death, we're not separated from God and His promises and His blessings. But the promise is bigger than that. Um, it's not just for death, it's for all of life that this principle applies. Um, and that's what we see in our second point and in the rest of the chapter, that we are guarded by sovereign grace, guarded by sovereign grace, verses 15 through 26. Here we see that, that the covenant family is guarded and guided through all evil by the sovereign grace of God. We'll go back into the middle now, picking up at verse 15 of chapter 50, if you have it at the text open. Um, Jacob has died. Joseph's brothers are scared. Um, you might be too. Uh, if you had done what they did to their brother. Uh, yes, it was a long time ago, but what they did was, by all human standards, unforgivable. They wanted to kill him. They were going to kill him. And the only thing that stopped them was they could make a profit off of selling him into slavery in Egypt. And, and all this comes back. The guilt comes back. The fear comes back. And uh, may, maybe our brother was just biding his time and being patient for the sake of dear old dad, and now that dad's gone, oh boy, um, the judgment will come down. So they, they, they're too scared to go themselves to Jacob, uh, excuse me, to Joseph. So they send a messenger to him 
And their messenger goes, um, and it's a testimony to what God has done in these brothers' hearts, because the messenger goes, he doesn't make excuses for them. He, he simply says, we, we've sinned. We sinned against you, and, and we want your forgiveness. They beg, they beg for mercy. And then for the second time here, we're told of Joseph's tears. Second time in this chapter, we read of his tears. He, he weeps when he gets their message. He weeps. We're not told exactly why. Maybe he's just rejoicing that God has made their hearts so tender and, 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 and thankful for that change of heart that he's worked in them. What a difference over these years God has worked in them. Uh, maybe he's weeping because, oh, don't they know I've forgiven them? I forgave them so long ago. But whatever the reason, he welcomes them and he calls them uh, to him uh, and uh, he gives them words that are full of comfort. And this is where we'll look the rest of the evening here. Um, he speaks words of wonderful comfort. He, he points them to the sovereign grace of God. He tells them, you have, you have nothing to fear. You meant it for evil. God meant it for good. This, uh, this tells us that, that God is not only sovereign over the, the nice things and the good things that we see, but over absolutely everything. That, that everything that comes to pass, He is in absolute control over and that he is, he is able to ordain even sinful things without Himself becoming guilty of sin. And that He's able to use those horribly sinful things to accomplish a good purpose for His people. And, that, that he, that he, and then Joseph tells us that, that God is doing this for a goal. God, God works all things for good. And, and why is He doing it? He's doing it to provide for you. He's doing it to save your lives. He's doing it to ensure that His promises and His purposes come to pass. This is what we've seen played out over, over so much of Genesis, isn't it? It's sort of like now at the end of the whole book, the curtain is being pulled back and we're shown the machinery that's been operating the whole drama. Right here, here we see the undergirding principle. We have seen this family, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and their descendants. We've seen them sin. We've seen them mess up. We've seen them fail in their faith. But through it all, God's sovereign grace carrying the whole thing along as the only, only hope and, and continuing to fulfill His promises and accomplish His purposes. And this is, this is what Jacob is, uh, excuse me, Joseph, as, as he comes, uh, this is what he wants them to know and he, what he wants Israel to know, that, that, that God is sovereign and working out His good purpose. What do we draw from this, brothers and sisters? What do we learn from God's Word here? One thing we should learn is that if God is sovereign over the evil that Joseph's brothers did, if he was sovereign over that circumstance, and that he was able to turn that horrible circumstance to good, he can also do the same for us as his covenant people. Even more so, we could amplify it. We could say there was another time when someone was hated and betrayed by those who were called his brothers, who should have been loved by them and honored by them, but instead was actually killed by them, by the Lord Jesus Christ. The innocent one, the righteous one, he was killed for our sakes. What an act of evil. That, that, that is the most evil act that's ever been committed. But what does God do with the most evil act that's ever been committed? He turns it to the greatest good 
that's ever been accomplished. That, that is the complete mastery of the wisdom of God's sovereign hand, that He is able to take the worst thing and make it accomplish the best thing. If He can do that in Joseph, and if He can do that in, in such a sin as the murder of our Lord Jesus Christ, can He do that in our lives? Even, even with our own sin, brothers and sisters. Now, we want to be careful here. You don't ever want to make a, a room for an excuse to allow and admit sin. But even in the Christian life, the, the very sins we struggle with, that we hate and we battle against, the Lord uses that even for your good in the end. As he, as he works you through that struggle, brings you through that struggle, teaches you to repent, teaches you humility, teaches you to be poor and weak and needy and cry out to Him, and He brings you through that. He works it for your good in the end. He does it also with the sins of others against you. What... what, what, what what, what, what pain and, and difficulty the sins of others can bring us. And yet, in the text we see God brings Joseph to a point where even though his brothers hated him so much, he can say, that was for good. My good, their good, the good of God's people. And the same with, uh, the same with our Savior, the sins against him, God worked for good. And so, so it is for us. We don't have the advantage of, of knowing when we're in the midst of it and we're sinned against how the story will end and how it will work for good. We don't know. But we know it will. With confidence it will. That even as for Joseph, so for all who are in Christ, all things work together for good for those who love him. If God has done it for Joseph... If he has done it in Christ, he will surely do it also for us. He will work all things, all things for our good. What is that good? The good is, as Romans 8, 28 and 29 reminds us, the good is being conformed to the image of the Son. That means sanctification. That, that means that through all the circumstances of your life, God is shaping you in the image of Christ to make you holy, righteous, pure, like Christ. But it's not only sanctification. It's in the whole man that God is conforming you to the image of Christ. That language of, being, of, of bearing the image of Christ is very much the language of, of also sharing in His resurrection. That, that body and soul, we will be conformed to the image of Christ made holy, made eternally alive with a body like His. That, that, that's, the, that's the inheritance, isn't it? That Jacob and Joseph were buried in hope of. That's the inheritance, Lord willing, if He does not return first, we will be buried in hope of, isn't it? Conformed to the image of the risen Lord Jesus Christ. And so, loved ones, as you fight the good fight of the faith, as you struggle against the temptation to doubt God's goodness and control, trust that the God of sovereign grace will use all things to conform you to the image of His Son and bring you to your inheritance. Let's pray. Lord, we are so thankful for the glorious truth of Your holy Word. What a God You are. What a God you have shown yourself to be over and over through all the pages of Scripture and 
the pages of our own lives. Lord, teach us a steady and firm trust in you. Keep our eyes on our Savior, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.